Come with me, please, to Romans chapter 8. Romans, the 8th chapter. And just one verse, verse 32. Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Some people are miserly, stingy. Every pound's a prisoner. They're as tight as two coats of paint. John Paul Getty Sr., the late American billionaire industrialist, was one such person. Even though he was worth billions, and even though he built a museum in Los Angeles and called it after his own name and filled it full of untold millions worth of art, by the way, he never did go and visit it, but even in spite of all of that, he fired one of his long-standing employees for buying a pencil sharpener. Said that he wore his shirts until the neck and the cuffs were frayed to the point of embarrassment. In 1973, in July 1973, his grandson, 16 years old, was in Rome and was kidnapped. And the kidnappers demanded a ransom of $17 million, which his father, John Paul Getty II, could not pay. So it fell to the grandfather. And John Paul Getty Sr. point blank refused to pay. And so in November of 1973, they cut off one of the ears of the grandson with a lock of his hair, put it in an envelope and posted it to a local newspaper. And they lowered their demand to $3.2 million. And he still refused to pay. It wasn't until some weeks later that they threatened to cut off his other ear and post it to him. And with a further reduction in the ransom to $3 million, only then was he prepared to pay and he only gave $2.2 million and the other $800,000 he made his son borrow it and pay back at a 4% interest rate. Well, that's miserable, isn't it? That's tight. John Paul Getty III, the grandson, whenever he was released, he phoned his grandfather up to thank him and he wouldn't even speak to him. And the young man was crushed and hurt so bad that his life from then on took a downward spiral of drink and drugs until he took a stroke that left him almost blind and partially paralyzed. And he died a broken man at 54. I want today to consider the generosity, the liberality of God. 
We serve a God that is not stingy, niggardly, austere. He's not greedy, grasping God. He's a God who's generous to a fault. A God who's benevolent. He's not greedy, but He's gracious. He's not mean, but He's merciful. Listen to it again. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? That tells us the heart of God. He's a generous, liberal God. He loves to give. See here the measure of God's generosity. Look at the height of it. It reached up into heaven itself. He that spared not his own son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not an angel. Not an archangel. Not a cherubim or a seraphim or not one of the great living creatures around the throne. But his only son. Only the best could redeem us. The darling of heaven crucified. We sing in that song. This is the generosity of God. He gave his most precious treasure his own son. Look at the depth of it. Not only did it reach up to heaven but it reached down, all the way down to earth below, but delivered him up. Delivered him up on a cross. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5 to 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even to the death of the cross. Back there in Romans chapter 8. Verse 1, therefore, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He made Him who knew no sin 
And the literal translation is to be a sin offering for us. And He became that sin offering for us. He became the Lamb that was slain for us. This is the depths of the generosity of our God. Look at the length of it. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Eternal life. We could say that everlasting life speaks of the quantity of life, but eternal life speaks of the quality of life. It's not just that we're going to live forever. The unsaved will live forever too, but in a lost eternity. But we will live forever. We will live everlastingly, eternally. We will have a quality of life that we couldn't possibly have on this earth by the limitations that we have in this human body. But we will have a resurrection body and we will live forever, eternally with that quality of life in an everlasting way. That's the length of it. Look at the breadth of it. He delivered Him up for us all. For God so loved the world that whosoever delivered him up for us all. Look at the range, look at the scope, look at the breadth of all of that. I love in Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 5. In verse 8, it says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation." and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands. That's some crowd, isn't it? 10,000 times 10,000, that would be a crowd on its own, but then thousands of thousands. God takes men and women from every nation under the earth, from every color, from every class. One of the wonderful things about heaven will be seeing that, seeing all of the faces. Wonder what the language, wonder will we all have one language, or wonder will we be instantly understand each other's language. I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but it's going to be exciting, isn't it? You know, sometimes... For those of us who've traveled a wee bit over the years, I remember the first time we traveled through the Middle East. And, and you know, sometimes if you travel through Europe, you're not, you know, culturally it's different, but facially, most people are white and dress roughly as Europeans would. But when you travel through Asia, it gets different. Then when you go to the Middle East and you go through those airports, and you see those guys with the big long white robes on and their wife walking about 10 paces behind them and all that. And suddenly it's different, isn't it? And they look different and they sound different. And that's wonderful. 
What's it going to be like in heaven? We'll be all dressed the same, with all the white robes on at least anyway. But it's going to be wonderful to see all of the colors and maybe hear all of the languages and maybe understand all of the languages. What is the breadth of God's absolute generosity? Did I read Revelation chapter 7 there? No, I didn't, did I? Verses 9 and 10. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Glory to God. All nations, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues. Oh, the breadth of God's generosity. The munificence. There's a lovely word, isn't it? It's a big word like marmalade, isn't it? The munificence of God's generosity. That means the extreme liberality. Liberality beyond your thinking. Luke 6.38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. Here's an advertisement for little, or little if you prefer. If you're posh, you call it little. If you're me, you call it little. The best musically you can get in the country you're getting littles. And Sally has a wee tub for me to put mine in. And to get it all in, when it's fully empty, you pour it in, you get up near the top, then you have to stop, then you have to shake it, then you have to hit it on the bench, jiggle it about, then you get more in, shake it, jiggle it about, press down, more in, until it's just, you just about can get the lid on. And there's always wee bits falls over and you sweep them up when she's not looking. <laughs> the three-second rule applies in our house. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, I'm sorry, I haven't time to explain. <laughs> but anyway, that's generous, isn't it? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Can't beat that, sure you can't. John 10 and 10, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. See how generous God is? He's not stingy or niggardly or miserly. He's not grasping and greedy. You know, wants to give. The Bible says he opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Psalm 84 and 11, No good thing will He withhold from those that walk uprightly. David says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. God has got a way. God has got a way to meet the need. I remember many, many years ago, uh, before I even came here, and that's 35 years ago. But I had a service to take in Balamina. 
It was a midweek Bible study in the Adair Arms Hotel in Balamina. Remember it well. I used to go there every Wednesday night. And uh, started at 7.30. At 6 o'clock, I was sitting in the house. Sally and I, we were stony broke. And I, I, I tell you how broke we were. I didn't even have the money to put petrol in the car to get me to Balamina. Seriously. And I had a service to take that night. So what do you do? You go through all your old suits, see if there's a wee fiver in there that you missed. But there wasn't. <laughs> you look at the wee can, the wee piggy bank, but there's only a few coppers in it. <laughs> so what do you do? Well, you pray. Lord knows the need. It must have been just after six sometime, knock came the door. Opened the door and it was a guy who knew me and I knew him, but he didn't know what was going on. And he says, I had to come to you tonight, David. He says, because I really, really felt that I had to give you this. And he pressed money into my hand and away he went. And that was enough to get me to Balamin and back. <laughs> Remember whenever we started the church at the beginning and we had a big mortgage and we had no money. And for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, every week I came down to the church, there was a, an envelope. There was a brown envelope through the front door and there was always money in it to help us to pay that mortgage. And to this day, I don't know who did it. But the Lord knew the need because He's a generous God. Six water pots of stone fill them up, Jesus said. And they were filled up to the brim. Containing 20 or 30 firkins apiece, probably 30 gallons each. That's a lot, isn't it? Not just enough just at the end of the feast, just to, well, there's only a day to go. We'll just, I'll just do what I'll do today. Six water pots fell to the brim. 130 gallons of this stuff. Little boy gave his five little barley loaves, two small fishes. At the end of it, 12 baskets left over after 5,000 were fed. That's generous, isn't it? And I can imagine that wee boy taking a big full basket on his shoulder back home with him. Jesus borrowed a boat in Luke 5 from his disciples. He preached from that boat. He finishes his nice fellas. Go out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. And they did that. And the Bible says they were astonished at the catch they got. Their nets were breaking. These were seasoned fishermen. They never had a catch. They got in all of their professional lives. They had to call all their friends and other boats to come and help them. And the other boat and that boat were filled when they brought them back to shore. They said, well, what happened? That spoke to them. They gave up the fishing business and they followed Jesus. What a generous God that we serve. And then there is the mercy of God's generosity. Or put that another way, the generosity of God's mercy. God delights in mercy. He's generous in mercy. You don't need to turn to this. Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage? 
He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will have compassion on us and subdue our iniquities. What a beautiful verse. He delights in mercy. Sometimes we are called upon to be merciful, aren't we? But how many times have we ever delighted in it? Sometimes we're called upon and we do it, we show mercy because we know we're supposed to. It's the Christian thing to do, it's the biblical thing to do, and we do it, but not much delight in it. (laughs) But God delights in it. It thrills Him to be merciful. Lamentations 3, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It's through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Sometimes, you know, you have to read these scriptures again and again and get the picture of God's generosity. Psalm 51. David prays that. Great prayer of repentance. He had committed that awful sin with Bathsheba. He had hidden it for a year until the prophet went to him and exposed his heart. And he really was relieved because he was hurting on the inside. In Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. You see, he's not just content with talking about his kindness, but his loving kindness. Not just his mercies, but his tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous Spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted unto you. When I read that, I see a man who is truly repentant. He's a broken man before God, but he's also a man who knows the generosity of God's mercy. Because it's not the first time he's experienced it. And in this dire moment, when he does not want God to remove his spirit from him, he cries out and he reaches out to the mercy of God, the generosity of God's mercy. 
Uphold me by your generous spirit. What a lovely term. In 2 Samuel 24, David decides to number the men in Israel, the fighting men. Joab, his general, questioned this idea. He knew it wasn't right. This was a nation that was trusting God. But David had the idea that he would number the men of Israel. Who knows why? Maybe in the back of his mind, maybe he wanted to expand the kingdom. But it was wrong. But he was king and he had his way. And so for just over nine months, Joab and his generals went through the length of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, counting all the men of Israel and Judah who could wield a sword. And there was like something, 1.3 million of them. And after nine months, I think it was in 20 days, he came back and he told David. And David's heart was smitten. And he knew he had done wrong. He got the result he wanted, but he knew he had done wrong. And God the prophet came to him. God was one of the prophets that David had who was a confidant, like Nathan. And God the prophet came. God spoke to him and says, go tell David. I give you three choices. You can either have seven years, this was punishment. You can either have seven years famine in the land. Or your enemies can pursue you for three months. Or I'll send a plague for three days. David didn't have to think too long about that. Certainly didn't want a famine for seven years. How many people would die in that? Certainly didn't want to be pursued by his enemies for three months. He had enough of that with Saul pursuing him and Absalom, his son, pursuing him. So he chose the latter. Listen to what he says, 2 Samuel 24, 14. David said to God the prophet, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. Implying that man's mercy is not great, but God's mercy is. So he knew God was merciful. He knew he had done wrong. He knew there was a price to pay, but he knew God was merciful. So he says, God, don't let me fall into the hands of man. Let me fall into the hand of God. And a plague came into the land. 70,000 were stricken. And God said to the angel, when it came near Jerusalem, stay your hand. Stay your hand. God put a limit on it. See, here is the generosity of God's mercies. Psalm 25 and 6 speaks of tender mercies. Paul in Philippians 2 and 1 speaks of bowels of mercy. 1 Peter 1 and 3, Peter talks about abundant mercies, magnified mercies, delightful mercies, pardoning mercies, multitudes of mercies, abundant mercies, mercies that are new every morning. 
No wonder Paul calls him in 2 Corinthians 1 and 3, the Father of mercies. That's a great title for God, isn't it? Allah is not called the Father of mercies, is he? But our God's called the Father of mercies. And here is the means of God's generosity. Firstly, obviously, receiving Christ. Receiving Christ, the means of God's generosity. Opening our hearts to the generosity of God. But it doesn't stop there. Once we have received the generosity of God through His Son, then we have got to be generous also. The life of Christ in us has got to come out of it, hasn't it? Let me just close with reading a few verses from First and Second Peter. And I'm going to read this from the, the New Living uh, Translation. First Peter 1. Let me just read from verse 3. All honor to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is by His boundless mercy that God has given us the privilege of being born again. Thank God. Now we live with a wonderful expectation because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. For God has reserved a priceless inheritance for His children. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, living, sorry, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God in His mighty power will protect you until you receive this salvation because you're trusting Him. It will be revealed on the last day for all to see, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. These trials are only to test your faith, to show what is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, that your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him, you trust Him. And even now you're happy with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Your reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. The salvation was something the prophets wanted to know more about. They prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you, even though they had many questions as to what it would all mean. They wondered what the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when He told them in advance about Christ's sufferings and His great glory afterwards. They wondered when and to whom all this would happen. They were told these things would not happen during their lifetime, but many years later, during yours. And now this good news has been announced by those who preach to you by the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So it's all wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So think clearly and exercise self-control. See, after we have been generously given all of these wonderful things by God, think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the special blessings that will come to you at the return of Jesus Christ. Obey God because you are His children. Don't slip back into your old ways of doing evil. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, who chose you to be His children, is holy. For He Himself has said, you must be holy because I am holy. 
And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorite when he judges. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners here on earth. For you know that God paid a ransom from you, for you, from the empty life you inherited for your, from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him for this purpose long before the world began. But now in these final days, he is sent to the earth for all. He was sent to the earth for all to see. And he did this for you. Now listen to this. Though Christ, through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and because God raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory, your faith and hope can be placed confidently in God. Now you can have sincere love for each other as brothers and sisters because you were cleansed from your sins when you accepted the truth of the good news. So see to it that you really do love each other intensely with all your hearts. For you have been born again. Your new life did not come from your earthly parents because the life they give you will end in death. But this new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Amen. Amen. Well, I was going to read more, but I don't think I need to. I think you get the message of God's generosity. And because he is generous to us, then we must be generous to people. We must walk in generosity. We must grow in generosity. We must live a generous life before God. God's good, isn't he? He's really good. Let's pray.